Welcome to Dispatch in Depth, where we give you the stories behind the science of emergency dispatch. This is an official podcast of the International Academies of Emergency Dispatch, the world's leading authority in dispatch science. I'm your host, Becca Barris, writer and copy editor for the Journal of Emergency Dispatch. In each episode, we'll be bringing you stories of the fascinating people who work in this area. We'll give you their backstory, including how they got there, what they're working on, and what drew them to the field. These are people who represent the cutting edge in emergency dispatch, and I hope you'll join us to hear more about them. Welcome to Dispatch in Depth. This is the third part in our series about the IAED's Instructor Academy. The first two parts covered the IED's perspective on the course by chatting with Eric Fayad, Associate Director of Instructor Services, and the perspective of instructors fresh out of the course sharing their thoughts and experiences. In this episode, we're talking to people who are in the beginning stages of their instructorship and are either finished or almost finished with their team teaches and on their way to solo teaching. Today's guests are Miguel Garcia and Nicole Smith with the Sarasota County Fire Department in Florida, Bernard Eisenbach with Notruf Niederösterreich in Lower Austria, Brooke Dipferth with Acadian Ambulance Service in Texas, Joanna Overton with El Paso Regional Communication Center in Texas, and Diane Verot with Group Alerte Santé in Quebec. Miguel Garcia is a battalion chief for Sarasota County Fire Department in Florida. Welcome, Miguel. Hi, how you doing, Rebecca? Nice to be on. Yeah, it's nice to have you on here. It's always nice to get some more fire department representation on the podcast. So how did you get into firefighting emergency response as a career? As far as getting into the dispatch instruction, I was, I've was i been an instructor for a long time, um, about 15 years, and in different roles in my organization and in outside organizations. And we had a need at the dispatch center, my local dispatch center, for a new internal instructor. So the instructor that used to do a lot of the instruction, you know, reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested in taking on a new teaching role. And I was didn't really know a ton about it. I know limited things about dispatch, but my background is definitely on the fire department side. So it was a challenge, but it was, uh, it was really fun. It was really fun going through the training. And I've been teaching for about six months now on my own. So it's been great. That's so great. Let's back up a little bit. What, what drew you to firefighting in the first place? I've been doing this for almost 25 years now, so I got started in my early 20s. I think it was one of those things uh, right out of high school. I went off to college, and then I came home. <laughs> Didn't wasn't so successful with the college career. I came home, and I had to do something to straighten my life out, and it was either firefighting, law enforcement, or the military. So I looked into the local fire academy, and it sounded pretty interesting. I didn't know much about it. And then I went through the academy and then went through EMT school and I got hired. And I've been doing this, like I said, since I was in my early 20s. So I'm in my mid 40s now. So it's been a great career. I'm on the tail end now. Yeah. And you're battalion chief now. Is that right? That's correct. I work for the Sarasota County Fire Department. I'm one of 12 line battalion chiefs and I'm in charge of a battalion of five stations. Oh, wow. I still work the shift work. So I still do the 24, 48. So I still go to the station every third day, spend a third of my life with the firefighters out there, like a second family. The field of emergency response, firefighting, law enforcement is very dynamic. Every day is different. You have no idea what you're getting into every day. And it's been very rewarding. And I, I enjoy it. 
And you said in there that you trained as an EMT. Are you still doing that? Is it just part of the fire training? Yeah, most fire departments these days, uh, firefighters have to be dual certified. So I was originally a firefighter EMT when I got hired, and then my agency put me through paramedic school. So then I became a paramedic, and then I was a, a line firefighter paramedic for a long time. I worked on a fire engine, a ladder truck, an ambulance. In my agency, we do it all. We do both fire and EMS function. And yeah, and then I started to sit for some promotions. I, so I still maintain that paramedic status on the medical side, but as a battalion chief, I don't use it very much. I'm not the person going out there starting IVs and innovating patients. I'm more of a command and control role now. Yeah, that makes sense. So you are a fire instructor then. And since you've been teaching for a while, what, if anything, did you find particularly valuable about the Instructor Academy? So I, I have to say, within the fire service, we do a lot of train the trainer somebody has to learn the material and then train it to other people. So it's, a, it's the kind of profession that you're always learning. You're always continuing education kind of thing. So I've participated in train the trainer type to become an instructor of XYZ many times. And I do have to say that the instructor Academy and just the whole process of becoming an instructor for the international Academy emergency dispatch has been amazing. It is really the, in my opinion, the way you should do, train the trainer program. So teaching someone how to instruct the material, it's the, it should be the gold standard. I was impressed from the type of personnel I got to meet in Salt Lake City. I was impressed with the quality of the team teaches and the feedback that I got. And I was impressed with, you know, just the entire support process. It was fun. And it was also, it, it made me a better instructor because I got real good feedback from everybody that participated. What has surprised you most as you've been teaching on your own for these past six months? What surprised me the most, I, I just, I was, I've never been exposed to an organization that gives you so much support as the International Academy. As an instructor, I always have somebody that I can call. All my mentors that helped me in the team teaches, they gave me their personal cell phone numbers. They gave me a lot of ancillary or supportive information to help me as I continue to grow and learn as an instructor. So I guess if I had to answer what was surprised me the most, I, I would say that I just surprised with how supportive the organization is for their instructors. And you could tell they really care about your instructors. They demand a very high quality product and it's important to try to maintain that, but know that you have a lot of support. It definitely makes a difference when you have that support, right? Especially since, like you said, it is such a high demand environment, it's helpful. It's helpful to be able to call someone at the academy and say, hey, uh, someone is asking a question about this, or what do I do about this? And then also when new updates come out, you can ask questions of anyone at the academy and say, why did we change this so I can explain it to the people coming in and learning? Yeah. I, and when you go to Salt Lake City for the Instructor Academy, and I understand that they do it at Navigator also, but I did it at Salt Lake City. I mean, you're, I met the individuals that, that actually wrote the protocol. So, I mean, if your job as an instructor is to teach those pathways and the logic behind the protocols, what better way than to be introduced to the people that wrote them? You know, and you don't see that very often when you're, when you're an instructor, when you're teaching material, you don't get exposed to the source of whatever you're teaching. You know, you're teaching off secondary tertiary research and very, very rarely are you exposed to the people that actually conducted that primary type research to conduct the material that you're actually supposed to be instructing. And that that's phenomenal. 
Yeah, that's a really cool perspective. I have talked to a lot of people about the Instructor Academy before, and no one's worded it quite like that. So thank you. Thank you so much for your thoughts. And then just a final question, what is one thing you would tell people who are considering maybe becoming an instructor? Well, I had some trepidation, you know, because this was, I don't come from a dispatch background. I come from the firefighting side. And I'm very honest with my students when I teach them. I say, hey, listen, my perspective is going to be more on the firefighting side versus the dispatch side. But at the end of the day, one of the main reasons, and, and you have to be a certified firefighter to teach the fire side anyways. And the reason for that is because a big part of teaching the protocols is explaining the why behind the protocols. So I, I do feel that having that background as a firefighter and continuing to be a firefighter in my primary profession is very valuable for the students. But like I said, I had some trepidation because I didn't have that dispatch background. So whether you had the dispatch background and you know, maybe you were a volunteer firefighter, or you didn't spend a lot of time as a firefighter, or you were a firefighter and either have never been a dispatcher or have a limited knowledge in the dispatch background, I would say that don't be scared. Yes, it's challenging, but you have a ton of support. You are in very good hands with the instructors, whether you go to Salt Lake City or the Navigator Conference or the other places that you can become an EFD instructor. You have amazing support. You have a great team. You have a, an amazing process that help you get certified. And all along the way, you have people that really do care and can help you. So don't be afraid. Take that plunge. Take that leap. And you'll, you'll do great. So I hope that's good advice. I mean, I think it's great advice. Sometimes people feel like they need permission to do things. I think that's really encouraging, especially what you said about not worrying if they don't feel up to snuff. Like the Academy will work with you no matter where you've come from, no matter the the amount of experience you have. And Rebecca, I think I have one other thing I was thinking of too. Even if you don't have an extensive instructional background, you know, maybe you're new to teaching. Although I had been instructing in various capacities at you know a local community college, at a technical school for 15 years prior to getting into EFD, when I went in the class, the EFD class, there were some students, instructor candidates in the class that didn't have the same teaching experience. Some of them were had a little less background in instruction, but I will say that one of the things I was really impressed with at the academy was the instructional design team came down for an entire day. And I met some people with very high level degrees and we learned a lot of, I learned a lot of new things about how adult learners learn. So you're given not only the tools to succeed with the protocols, but if you're new to instruction, the International Academy of Emergency Dispatches EFD instructor program gives you the tools to be a, a successful instructor, even if you don't have that background or that extensive of a background. Yeah. And even if you do have that extensive background, because like you said, Miguel, you have a pretty significant history of training people. You still found something valuable to take away from that. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would say that I'm still always learning and I don't, I mean, I, I have a little bit of a background, maybe more than some, but you always can learn and you, the International Academy gives you a lot of opportunities to continue to learn and become a better instructor. And it's, it's been very fun and valuable for me, valuable experience. That is a great note to end on. Miguel, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Rebecca. I really appreciate having me on. Nicole Smith is the training officer and fire EMS training captain with Sarasota County Fire Department in Florida. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I don't often get to talk to people who have that fire experience and background, so I'm especially excited to talk to you today. 
So let's dive right in. How did you get into emergency response as a career? So as a career, I hadn't really thought about it long term. It was kind of a spur of the moment decision. I was in high school and walking down the hallways, I saw a poster on the wall for the local state technical college and they had the fire academy going on. And at the time I was kind of contemplating going into chiropractic with my family and working at that office, but realizing at the time, ironically, that an office job wasn't for me. <laughs> so I told my mom, I go, I think I, I think I want to go to the fire academy. But at the time, I, again, I knew nothing about the process and, you know, I, I didn't know what an EMT was. And so my mom, we sat down and talked about it and I graduated that summer and started the fire academy in the fall. So that's kind of what got me here. And then, you know, throughout this journey, found out that I did have family that was involved in the fire service that I got to kind of learn a little bit about along the way. So that was neat. That is really cool. Alive, distantly related family or ancestors? Distantly related and some ancestors. Cool. Yeah. So all yeah. sides. And so you are also a paramedic and EMT. Yeah. So after going through the fire academy, I realized that uh, locally in my county, you have to be dual certified. So I went through EMT training at that time and really then fell in love with the medical side. They opened up a paramedic program for those that were interested in going. And so I went through paramedic training after that and just have, again, like I said, really fallen in love with the medical side, which, you know, starting starting out initially wanting to be a firefighter, I didn't see that coming. And and it's been great. Cool. And you you said in your county, it's required to be dual certified. You are in Sarasota, I should clarify, right? In Florida. Yes. Sarasota County in sunny Florida. So how did you hear about the IED instructor role then? Our dispatch center is run by our local sheriff's department. We had a chief at the time that was doing the dispatch training, the IAD dispatch training, and he was nearing retirement and they were looking for somebody locally to be an in-house instructor. And so I was approached by him, said, he said, is this something that you'd be interested in? And I said, I would love more information. And we'd got to talking and the ball started rolling. And that's essentially what got me into this. Cool. And did he approach you giving you the choice of like, you could be a medical instructor or a fire instructor or both? Yeah. So he explained how the EMD and the EFD worked and the option was given to be certified on both ends. However, we do have one other individual with our within our agency who they brought along at the same time. And he and I went through EMD and EFD together here locally. And then when we came out to do our training in Salt Lake City, I did the EMD and he did the EFD. And they initially had kind of talked about the following year having us flip-flop so that we could be dual certified, but it's just worked out so well with our schedules that right at this time we've, you know, we've passed the year mark and we're we're kind of enjoying where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Why mess with a good thing? Yeah. Yeah. So had you had much experience training or teaching before this role came up? I did have, I consider quite a bit of experience with training. You know, I've done the field training officer program with, with my department for about 13 years, I would say I've done, I had done that. And then I taught at our local school as an instructor, I uh, did EMT and paramedic instruction there, and then have come into this role where I'm at currently with my department as a, uh, a training captain. So I have a little bit of background with instructing. 
I enjoy it. <laughs> Good. You kind of have to enjoy it because it's it's a it's a process. I don't want to say grueling. Grueling is a very strong word, but it's intense. It's an intense process. Since you have a passion for teaching and since you have, you know, a, a background in teaching, what did you find in the Instructor Academy itself? What did you find valuable in it? I was kind of given a little bit of a heads up. Wait until you go and see the way that they do their train the trainer. Wait until you see the way a real train the trainer is done. And I was so impressed by the organization of it, how streamlined it is, the continuity of instruction. The individuals that I got to attend with when I was in Salt Lake were, of course, from all over. And the fact that each of us, whether we were from Canada, Australia, United States, Florida, you know, it, it didn't matter. We were given that same instruction and that continuity. When you go out and disseminate that information was something that I hadn't seen before. In fact, so much so that when I came back in my current role, I have now implemented a more formalized train the trainer program so that we can kind of mimic that ability to have that streamlined continuity across the board. So I, I love that. Cool. I haven't heard that answer before. That is very unique and something that people who don't teach think about a lot. So you have been teaching for about a year now. You've been doing your solo teaches in the in-house instruction for about a year now. Has anything surprised you in the process of teaching on your own? I don't know if I would call it a surprise teaching so much, but for me, having been in my career for the amount of time I've been, I've been a paramedic for about 19 years now, been with Sarasota County for about 16 years. So what was surprising to me is you come into this and we don't really have an appreciation for that other side of the job and what's happening before we respond. And there were so many dots that were connected and so many aha moments as I was going through this process. And now I find myself, you know, just, just even in talking with people that are not involved with this process or not involved with the dispatch process, just being able to kind of explain now and have a little bit more of a background in what's happening on the other side of the table. And for me, I guess that would be, I don't know if it's surprising, but eye-opening would be uh, maybe more appropriate. And then just something that I really enjoy, something that I really enjoy about the classes is that I like watching the process of people. They start the class and they're just eager and ready to learn. And then you watch and there's no foundation in a lot of cases. A lot of the people have no foundation. And so they're, they're real eager to learn. And then you watch them and the eyes get real wide and there's like this panic, you know, uh -huh. panic and, yeah. and they like, see all the cards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so much. I can't do this. And then, and then to watch that final day where you're watching them run their scenarios and it's clicking and they're getting it. And then when they walk out and they've given you that thumbs up that they've passed the test. And I just love watching that full cycle happen over those, over the course of those couple of days. So that's, something that I really enjoy about it. Yeah, that sounds just that sounds just like incredibly rewarding to be able to see that process happen. Yeah. And not a lot of people get to see that, right? Like a lot of teaching is kind of piecemeal, right? You're te teaching different parts, but you get in there, you're like, all right, here's the firehouse. I mean, you're teaching medical, but the firehouse metaphorical. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Getting to see that that full process in a pretty short amount of time. It is. It's very rewarding. You work in the center around the center. Yes. Yes. Do you see people that you have trained? 
Yes, I do. I do. And actually, it was really neat. We just went through our department, just went through the accreditation process. And so we were touring, bringing in people from other departments as they were kind of grading us. And so we were touring the dispatch facility and I'm sitting there, you know, just, just quietly kind of watching these guys observe and grade us. And there's a lady sitting in front of me that's actively taking a fire call that I had had in a class, uh, two classes prior. And so I just kind of like winked at her and she looked up and smiled and, and it was just really cool to get to see her taking an active fire call and having just put her through. Of course. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Just to wrap up, do you have any advice to anyone who's maybe thinking about becoming an instructor? Yeah, my advice would be to make sure that instructing, first of all, is something that you are passionate about. You absolutely have to enjoy being with people. You have to enjoy the patience of instructing. That was another thing that I've noticed with every single person that I've encountered that works for Priority Dispatch. They are just so kind and so patient. And so they just have this ability to kind of take you under their wing and teach you. So if you don't have that ability, <laughs> I would say just, just maybe reevaluate. But if that's something that sounds like you, if that's something that sounds like you'd enjoy, go for it and don't second guess, you know, am I, am I qualified? Am I able to do this? Because I feel like throughout this process of, of how you take us through the academy and then through the team teaches and through the solo teach, they really make you feel very comfortable in doing it. So if you have the foundation, if you love it, and if you love this job, absolutely go for it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to do this. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bernard Eisenbach is head of training and channel management and the supervisory board at Notruf Niederösterreich in Lower Austria. Welcome, Bobby. Yeah, hello. Bobby, where do you work? I'm working in Lower Austria in the Emergency Command and Control Center of Lower Austria. It's in the east part of Austria in the middle of Europe. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. I know that you're very busy. So, Bobby, how did you get into this career emergency response? I started as a volunteer at 14 years at the local fire department. And during my high school diploma, I also did the education for an EMT at the Red Cross station in my city. And after graduating from high school, I was able to continue as an EMT at the Red Cross as a part of my community service. It's instead of a military service. And yeah, this put me in contact with the dispatch center. Cool. I can't believe you got started so young. 14 is very young. <laughs> I think that's the youngest <laughs> yeah, of everyone I've talked to. Someone said 16, but 14, you got him beat. Wow. Okay. Well, that's another episode. I'll have to hold all of my questions about <laughs> yeah. that. So what do you, what is your role in the center? Yeah, I'm the head of two departments. That's the training department and the channel management department. And what kind of things do you do just in your day to day? Different things. Um, one of my things are teaching the people in my comm center in different classes, like call center agent, like EMD or EFD, also as a dispatcher. And the second department, channel management, is it's for internal knowledge transfer. We have something like Wikipedia. Mm. And 
I also created a chatbot. It's the first chatbot in com centers. So it's possible for us to provide the service that our patients can book a patient transport to the GP or something like that via WhatsApp or Apple iMessage and so on. That's really cool. How long ago did you implement that? We started in 2022 with our chatbot. We had a period of six months for testing and developing the chatbot. And it's very great. Also, the amount of people which are using the Leobot, it's called Leobot, is increasing. That's so cool. I look forward to hearing more about that. So how did you first hear about the instructor role? Yeah, I got to know that job as an instructor because two of my colleagues already worked in our center as instructor for medical. Yeah, it's quite nice. And I saw them in our class and later on in the quality assurance department and the training department before I became the head of the department. I saw that and was very interested in. What were you interested in about it? I was interested in how they can teach also because of their background knowledge and the protocols. So I was very good as an EMT and also as an EFD. So everything was fine, but there was more information behind the protocol and it was very interesting. So I could learn a lot of them. And you are dual certified, right? You are certified as a medical and fire instructor. Yes, I'm certified as an instructor for medical and fire for medical queue, and I will finalize fire queue instructor as soon as possible. You sound pretty busy. (laughs) (laughs) You have a lot going on. That's that's a lot of work to be certified in one, but whew. Last week I did APTQ, so I I think it's everything. (laughs) All courses which are possible for me. You're running all of Central Europe. You're like, I got this. Let me do all this instruction. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Since you were already teaching at your comm center before you took the instructor course, how did taking the instructor academy make you a better teacher? I think that the concept of how I can learn the issues in the course, the background information and so on is very good. So we have two team teachings and one final teaching, which helped me a lot. And I think that's Uh, very interesting to learn it step by step and also that I can have benefits of uh, the experiences from our senior or master instructors. And it's also uh, quite good because you can get feedback during that teachings afterwards so you can develop yourself as good as you can. Cool. So you teach in your center, you teach at Notruf, and then you're also a regional instructor, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I'm teaching very often in Germany, so it's quite fun because it's my native language. And sometimes I'm teaching in English, so I also did one team teaching in the Netherlands. And in the end of November, I also had a course in Gibraltar, so it was in English, and it was quite fun. 
again, not only are you certified as a medical instructor and a fire instructor and a Q and all these things, you are also teaching in different languages, which is just so impressive. How do you prepare for the times when you teach in a different language or teach another version of the protocol, even like the UK protocol versus the American protocol? I think it's just I'm teaching in German mainly, so it's easygoing. And because of the of the background knowledge and also doing a lot of courses, it's very easy to, to do another course in, in German. In English, it's also like this. Sometimes you need some special wordings in, in medical stuff. You have to prepare it before the course that you are able to, to teach and to explain some medical words or vocabulary. So it's quite easy, but you have to be focused because every version, because of different languages, that has little differences. So in the UK version, there are Omega codes. In the German Fire version, you have an additional protocol. It's not possible in the North American English version. So there are little differences and you have to be focused that you all of these differences can find out and also can do the preparation. And the second thing is also that you should be informed about local conditions and cultural concerns. That's also important to provide a good course for your attendees. Talk a little bit more about cultural considerations. I think the differences are also that we have some things. So we have wine cellars. That's a local thing in Low Austria. I'm not sure if it's in, I think so, that's not in Gibraltar or, or in Germany at all. So we have some different situations, also different systems of ambulance service, of possibilities for our patients going to the GP, get some advice. We are using ECNS in our comm center, so we have different solutions for our patients. Is it possible to send a nurse to the scene and so on? So I think it's very important to talk to the comm centers, talk to the attendees before the course is starting to get more information about their situation in their city or in that area. Yeah, that makes sense. So for the final question, Bobby, what advice would you give someone who is thinking about maybe becoming an instructor? I think it's very important to have a good knowledge of the protocol or protocols if you are doing more than one discipline and also having a lot of experience in handling emergency calls. I think that can help you to become a good teacher. So it's the first step. I think you also can, it could be interesting and necessary for you to have some experience from the field as a firefighter or as an EMT or paramedic that you can have a look on what's going on on the scene or on the street. And I think then you should not be worried because you can do a step-by-step -step training and you can improve yourself by learning the protocol deeper and deeper. And also you can have good advice because of your feedback from your senior instructor or master instructor. I love that. I love the idea of learning step by step and not just in the process of officially becoming an instructor, but in life and in your role as an instructor, just to keep learning little by little. You don't have to know everything before you get started. You have to know a lot, right? And you have to have the experience, but you can keep learning. And that's great. That's a great attitude. 
That's correct. And also you should be focused on the performance in your course. So it should be interesting for your attendees and you, you should be interested in also learning that stuff or transfer the, the knowledge you have to your attendees. I think that's the third thing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And good luck with all of your roles. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the podcast possibility and best greetings from Lower Austria. Brooke Ditforth is a former paramedic and current EMD instructor with Acadian Ambulance Service in Dallas, Texas. Welcome, Brooke. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hi. How are you doing? I am absolutely fantastic. How about yourself? I mean, I don't know if I'm absolutely fantastic, but I'm doing pretty good, which, you know, good. it's nothing to sneeze <laughs> at. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Brooke, how did you get into emergency response as a career? So I was a paramedic on an ambulance for about nine years. And then that dreaded COVID hit for everybody. And I decided that I was done being on the truck, but I still wanted to be in emergency response in some aspect. And a position was open in dispatch. And I said, well, let's go. Let's, let's try our hand in dispatch and see how we like it. I imagine it must have gone fairly well for you know you to be up for an instructor role. Yes, actually it did. I took to it very quickly. I enjoyed it a lot and I knew that that was where I was going to be and that's probably where I will end my career is in emergency response for sure. I mean, yeah, that sounds great. What is it about emergency response that you like? I like the aspect of being able to multitask and stay busy and help people on the phone. I think it's more challenging for us as dispatchers because we can't see what is going on. So we have to rely on our audio and decipher through everything that's on the phone call. And I think that's the most challenging thing. And it's been very challenging. I'm not discounting the, the fact that it's very challenging uh, in the field as well, as far as doing physical labor and seeing patients and doing that work there too. But I like the, the part that we are the first first responders. We, you know, we are getting them when they are at their worst of worst. So, you know, and being able to get through a call and help people before anybody else arrives is very rewarding. Yeah, that is something that a couple of the other instructors have talked about just because you are coming from this field experience to have to kind of retrain your brain to deal with the fact that you're not seeing the patient right in front of you, that you can't give them oxygen or Narcan or something. You have to walk the caller through it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was probably one of the biggest challenges, too, is coming from the field and knowing what needs to be done and what questions need to be asked, but yet not being able to do it as far as being in the dispatcher role. So that was something very challenging to overcome to, hey, this is how we have to do it. And you have to turn your paramedic brain off is what I tell people in class a lot. Okay, guys, if you're a paramedic, you have to turn your paramedic brain off and it's very hard to do. But at the same time, it's not something that can't be done either. So 
that's a big challenge. Yeah, it takes work, but it can be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It just becomes second nature at that point. And that's the hopeful sentiment, I think, that it's not something you have to be born with, right? This ability to take care of people, but it's something that can be learned. Absolutely. 100%. You can be, you know, Joe Blow off the street and come in and not know anything about medical and come in here and be one of the top dispatchers in your center. I mean, it's all about being able to listen and multitask and able to pick out what is important in those conversations. Right. And speaking of being taught, how did you hear about the IED instructor role? So when I first initially took EMD, we have our own in-house instructor through our company. And I was talking to him about it and how he became the instructor. And, you know, it had been passed down to him. And so I took the class and I thought, wow, that'd be really cool to be able to teach and travel and do all the things and still be in the business and the industry that I really enjoy and love. And he ended up putting in his resignation two years later. And before the ink was even dry on the resignation paper, I was emailing people, I want this job, right? And they kept saying, well, it's not for any extra pay. It's not for this. I said, I don't care. I want to be an instructor. I want to teach people. I want to make a difference in how this is taught and how people go out into the field and be like, oh, yes, she was my instructor. You know, she taught me this, this and this. So that's been one of the driving force to make me become an instructor for sure. Yeah, that's a pretty sweet legacy to leave behind. I think, you know, having trained just hordes and hordes of call takers and dispatchers. Yes, absolutely. And especially when you're sitting in the comm center and you're hearing them do what they were taught and they're doing it correctly. And you're like, yay, that's so exciting. Thank you. Somebody actually paid attention and learned something, you know, so that's always fun. Yeah, very satisfying, too, I would imagine. Yes, it is very satisfying, 100%. But, you know, I always say you have to love what you do. And if you do something for free, you love it, you'll always stick with it. And it's kind of like your baby. And so this has been my baby for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So before you attended the Instructor Academy, did you have much experience teaching? Yes, I actually did. I help with the paramedic students that are going through the paramedic program and teaching skills and teaching them how to do their skills and and whatnot and stand up and lecture and things like that. So I did have a background in teaching as well as CPR instructor. So it's kind of in my blood too. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So with the experiences that you already had coming into the academy, what did you find valuable about taking that course? So I really felt the value was in Eric and Vicky. They were absolutely phenomenal instructors for us. I learned so much more in depth of the ProQA and how EMD actually works. And they were so helpful and just put everybody at ease. I think that was very valuable. But also the valuable thing was meeting other people from across the globe. I mean, there was people there from other countries and we've all kind of became 
friends and stayed connected. And so that's really awesome that I was able to form those friendships through that academy. Yeah. So you took the Instructor Academy sometime last year, so 2022-ish. Where are you at in your process of team teaches or solo teaching So I actually completed all of my team teaches and I do actually solo teach on my own now. I finished in end of April, 1st of May is when I had my final team teach with Patty Dukes. Love her. Shout out Patty. (laughs) She was so awesome. She made it so much fun because that last team teach was was grueling because that was the first time I'd actually had to stand up there and and teach the whole entire class. But yeah, I've taught probably six or seven classes so far on my own. And it's been fun. It's been fun. It's gone by really fast. I didn't think that it was going to be that fast, but it has gone by super fast. Yeah, they are keeping you busy at that center. My goodness. Yes, they are (laughs) very busy. (laughs) What is one thing that has surprised you as you've been teaching on your own? So I think that... The ability to actually present the material in ways that they understand, that was probably one of my biggest hurdles when I first started doing the team teach because when I was doing the team teach and I had another instructor, I was like, wow, they're good. And there's a reason why they're doing team teaches with you, right? Because they've been doing it for so long. And so I was able to pick up on some of the things that each one of them had done during the class and incorporated it in mine. And I think that surprised me that I was like, oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. And I like that. I think I want to incorporate that into my teaching. What surprised me is the ability to actually intertwine all of that teaching and make it my own and, and start forming my own way of teaching for sure. How would you describe your teaching style then? Fun, because we all know that the EMD class is sometimes death by PowerPoint, and you can see them fading throughout the afternoon. So I try to make it fun and interactive. And, you know, I put my own scenarios in there of life experiences that I've had. And as far as calls or my own personal accidents have made its way into some of the teachings and help explain things. So I just try to make it fun and interactive for them for sure. I, I think that that in help them engage a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Engagement is just so important in any classroom setting, but especially with adult learners, right? Because they could be doing other things. Yes, absolutely. So as we wrap up here, Brooke, what is one piece of advice you would give people who are maybe thinking about becoming an instructor? I would say go for it. It is a long process. Trust the process because the process does work. And Just soak up every bit of knowledge that is being poured into you as far as whenever you start the academy to your team teaches. You have so many lifelines too. The academy is not just going to throw you out there to the wolves and just say, hey, figure it out. We gave this class to you. Go ahead and figure it out. That is so not the case. And everybody is so welcoming and so helpful. And I can pick up the phone and text Eric and be like, hey, uh, what about this, this, and this? And he is quick to respond. It is a great community of instructors. And they are 
willing to help you for sure 100%. So if you love teaching and you love that kind of aspect of dispatching, I say go for it. 100% go for it. It's great. It's fun. Yeah. And it should be fun, right? Like you said, you have to have that passion for it if it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have the passion for it if it's going to work for sure. You can't just say, oh, well, my boss is making me take this. Like you got to want to do it for sure because it is a commitment. It is a year long, probably about a year and a half, I would say from start to finish, probably about a year and a half, depending on how many classes you do during your team teaches and whatnot. So yeah, it's a long process, but it's dedication and it's very rewarding in the end. Thank you so much for your advice. Thank you so much for your insight and your perspective. Good luck on all of your classes that you are teaching at your center. And hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. I will be back. You just holler at me and I'll be back on. Joanna Overton is a firefighter with El Paso Regional Communication Center in Texas. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. You are a delight. I'm excited to talk about your experiences today. Oh, I thank you. I'm like so excited with how everything went. So I'm ready to share with everybody. Good. I think that's good for an instructor. I think that's a good attitude for you to have. Because I mean, sometimes people want to keep everything. What do they call it? Gatekeeping? No, no. Let's share. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So how did you get into emergency response as a career? Oh, my Lanta. So that's a loaded question, only because I actually wasn't going for emergency medicine. I wanted to be a medical examiner. I'm one of those chicks. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to be a medical examiner. However, I've kind of realized, you know what, during high school, that's a huge step, dude. So let's kind of back it off a little bit. Let's see how we like nursing first, because what if we don't like blood or something like that? So in high school, I ended up doing the licensed vocational nursing program. I wasn't able to finish it, but we worked hand in hand, like really closely with the EMT program, the emergency medical technician program. So during my my junior year, I did the LVN program. I got my nursing assistant. And then I went back my senior year, half a day to one of the other schools. And I ended up getting my emergency medical technician. So it's been like, a while. I got a back in the day. <laughs> That's where everything started in high school, wow. which is kind of strange. Yeah. But you stuck with it. You said, you know what? Emergency medicine. Why not? Let's keep doing it. Yeah. And it just kept rolling. So how long were you an EMT before you switched over to dispatch? Because you were also a dispatcher, right? Yes, yes, indeedy. So I started right after high school. I worked at a nursing home for a little bit. And then like six months later, I got on with the city. And at that time, we were separated. EMS and fire were two separate entities. But then we ended up merging. And I went and got my firefighter. So I got my EMT, my basic, well, now paramedic and firefighter. But then there started being like, you know, There was that time when everybody nationwide was having trouble with staffing at their communication centers. So the call went out, we're looking for volunteers and you know, gung ho, hey, why not? Let's do this. (laughs) So I ended up volunteering. I wasn't picked for the first batch, but then the second batch came up and I'm like, hey, I'm still interested. Put me in coach, let's do this. 
So I volunteered to go to dispatch or communications. And at that time, being a firefighter, they trained us to dispatch the fire medical function. So not particularly call taking, but in the fire dispatching area. And that's how I came to dispatch. And that was like seven years ago. That's really cool. And I imagine it was pretty handy for you as you're dispatching, you know, fire and medical units to be able to envision what they're doing and what they need and where they needed to go. Yeah, you know what? It was the picture was there. So I'm like, okay, they should be getting here. They're going to ask for this. And that totally comes in handy. So when we're doing the training for fire dispatch, I didn't realize that the dispatchers actually got that same training as to, okay, this is what your on-scene report's going to be, yada, yada, you know, anticipate what they're going to be needing. That way you can already have it in the back of your head or somebody behind you is already like, hey, I already got this for you. No worries. So handy. So how did you hear about the IED instructor role? So that was like the same time I came onto communications. As fire dispatchers, we also had to go through the IAED training, which was pretty awesome because I was like, what? <laughs> I just thought they made up questions out of the blue, you know, random. But no, it's actually scripted. So I was like, that's pretty sweet. So we went along and I had to do the course, of course, and it just worked out. It was like an eye opener. And I was like, dude, I would so love to do this. And then our instructor started talking, okay, well, you have to have this kind of certification. You have to be this, this, and this. And I was like, check, check. Oh yeah, check. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, I am so in on this. If we can get it, then let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. So you have experience in EMS and fire. Which discipline do you instruct for? I just got my certification as a fire instructor. Sweet. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. Is that because, I don't know, because you like fire more or just there was a need in your center for a fire instructor? There is a need. We have at least two classes a year well more like three classes a year however we just got our ace accreditation in the fire discipline also back in what last year 2022 so once that popped up that was that last check mark and we're like send me i'm ready let's do this congratulations on your ace status because that is hard that's such hard work i don't i don't know that people understand exactly how difficult it is to get ace accreditation but you guys are top notch cream of the crop for sure well thank you group effort everything always group effort for sure so you went through the academy the the course the instructor academy last year ish what still stands out to you about your experience oh my goodness the instructor styles You sit there in the class and you watch them give their presentations and it's like, holy roasted metal, how am I going to do that? And it just, once you're up there and you're doing it, you're like, hold up, I just did that too. That experience of the instructor style and then also what they brought in that wasn't so much instructor related it just blossoms into every aspect of when you're teaching, when you're going somewhere else. So during the class, they had a gentleman come in and he was explaining the differences between adult learning and then child learning. And it was like, huh, that's so true. And 
you don't think about it like straight out because when we're doing the tours and they're like high schoolers, we kind of do talk at their level. But then when we're having adults, we talk at their level, but we never realized that we're actually doing that. So that stood out. And then they had a class about diversity. I was like, oh my word. So basically the whole class was, the whole instructor course was beautiful, but the most I got out of it, I have to say was the non-instructor related courses. Does that make sense? Yeah. Only because, I mean, you can take those and apply it to other aspects in your life. And I just, I love it. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize just how much the course encompasses, right? You're not just coming to Salt Lake and... I mean, you are getting blasted with a fire hose of protocol and you get to meet the people on the boards who create the protocol and you get to talk to them about why certain things are implemented. But yeah, like you said, there's also other aspects, adult learning, which is different from child learning, like you said, and then diversity, which is so important. We have been getting a lot of questions lately, especially around trans people and how to triage that, right? How do you triage someone who says that they're trans? Does it matter? When does it matter, right? So it's really important and it's important for you as the instructor to have that knowledge so that when you go out to teach people who've never dispatched before, never taken a call before, so that you can say, hey, listen, Whatever your personal biases might be, you need to understand this, this, and this. Totally agree. And it helps with the students as well. I mean, because you have the callers that might be a little bit sensitive to certain situations, but then the students in your classroom also might be sensitive. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, it applies to lots of different fields, not just instructing. Mm -hmm. So you have been doing your team teaches this year. Is that correct? That is correct. How's that been going? Oh, it was nerve wracking, but it was wonderful. I mean, the instructors I had, the senior and master instructor that I had, I learned so much and took away some of their styles that I'm applying to myself as well. And I am so happy to say I just had my last team teach here two months ago. So that's so great. You're going to be out on your own. They're going to kick you out of the nest. Yes. It's a little scary, but I am so excited. Yeah. (laughs) Super excited. Has anything surprised you as you've been doing your team teaches? It has. And once again, it's, it's one of those, it surprises me how much I actually know. So I know with a lot of people and I, with myself too, In my personal, I have a lot of imposter syndrome. So it's like, okay, how am I going to be teaching these people that are going to be doing this like every day? And, and what if they find out that I don't know something and it's like, dude, I do know this. Hold up. Wait a minute. So yeah, I've learned a lot about myself and my teaching just about how much I actually know is impressive. Yeah, that's always a great feeling when you do all of this work to prepare and to, you know, make things as good as you possibly can. And then you get there and you do know it and your brain doesn't let you down. That is a beautiful moment. Most definitely. Most definitely. So, Joanna, do you have any words of advice for people who are listening to this and thinking, hey, I maybe want to become an instructor. I want to look into it. The one thing I'm going to tell them. I want to tell whoever's listening right now, just do it. Go get it started. Go for it. You won't be disappointed. 
it's worth it. It's worth it. Perfect. Short and sweet and to the point. We love to hear it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to hearing how your first solo teach goes. And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. No, thank you so much for having us. I totally, totally appreciate it. Diane Verrault is the former clinical care director of Urge Santé and current clinical nursing advisor for Group Alerte Santé in Montérégie, Québec. Welcome, Diane. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fine. Why don't you tell us how you got to where you are in your career? Oh, wow. Well, I actually started my career being as a primary care paramedic in Montreal. And uh, I was uh, also a nursing assistant at that point. And I decided that my life would be the emergency uh, clinical aspect of the job. So I did my registered nurse and my bachelor and master. So I evolved in both professions. So I actually worked as a paramedic, but I was also a registered nurse at the emergency in a tertiary trauma center in Montreal. So I worked like both life on the same level, I would say. But most of my life was in uh, pre-hospital care. So I worked for Urgence Santé, uh, which is the Montreal EMS in Quebec. And I finished my career there. After 36 years, I was a director of clinical aspect of the company. And in my last year, I actually implemented the ECNS program in Montreal. And now that I retired from there, well, I decided that I would like... Uh, continue this nice adventure. And now I work for uh, Alerte Santé, which is the dispatch center on the South Shore of Montreal. So we've implemented the ECNS program, which is really, really has nice results. And we're really proud of those things. Yeah. So you're responsible for the implementation of ECNS in not just one center, but two. That's right. Yeah, maybe there will be others. We don't know. We hope so. But anyway, so I'm having just right now, I'm having a blast. That's what I'm having. And recently, Alerte Santé has asked me to become an instructor as a MPDS instructor, which I just finished all the requirements needed. Actually, I gave my first course alone last week. <gasps> it was my first course yay it was hard it was hard it was a hard process yeah I imagine so so they asked you to become an MPDS instructor were you pretty open to that or were you like "Eh, maybe not maybe there's something else I'd rather be doing no I was pretty open to that actually I thought it was a nice continuous I don't know how you say that because, you know, the ECN has to be trained as an MPD and they have to mm. do their training. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like it was a smart line to do, you know, to transition from MPDS to SES and, you know, understand all the components, even if I understood some of it, because I was in my old life when I used to be a director all the quality assurance was under my responsibility of the MPDS. So I knew a lot about it, but I was not the specialist. My employees were, right? So becoming an instructor for me was just like, it was a smart thing to do just, you know, to make sure I would comprehend all the little things in the MPDS and why do those calls their emergencies or they're just like transferred to the ECN. But This was actually, for me, (laughs) was more difficult than a master university course, really. 
it's such a big transition from, you know, being a call taker as an EMD and being an ECN. It's two different worlds. And if, for me, it was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. So I can comprehend and I'm still asking questions and it's a hard thing. And it's not only because it's hard on, on a clinical point of view, it's a totally different way to evaluate over the phone. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And there is that aspect of they're the two completely different worlds, like you said, but they are connected also, right? Because if a center isn't doing MPDS correctly, you're not going to get ECNS. And the way that you can trust calls to go to your emergency communication nurses is knowing that all of the calls coming through MPDS are being triaged correctly. Yes, of course. And that's really important. And we do sometimes upgrade some calls. But it's not because the EMD didn't do a job properly. It's just that we have time and time to speak with the patient, which they don't do. Or some components are not really addressed in the MPDS. And so we just make a difference in working. For me, it's a team. You know, it's not EMD or it's end. So there's a plus together. And uh, it's really team building. And both parties bring their experience. I am a big believer that those two professionals has to work in the same environment. And I'm actually going to give a conference of that at not the next navigator, the importance to work together. Yeah. yeah. I have examples. Everyone go check out Diane's session at Navigator. It's going to be really good. I went to one of your sessions last year and it was it was great. It was about ECNS and just the oh. the changes it made in your response times. And ugh, it's so cool. I need to do more about ECNS. I think there's just a lot of untapped potential there. Yeah. Tell me about your experience at the Instructor Academy. What was it like? What did you enjoy? What was valuable? Oh, first off, Salt Lake City is a nice city. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> But the people, everybody I've met at the academy, Eric, Fayad, Vicky, everybody that was there were so supportive because I had, I was prop, no, there was another one also in the class, two that had never taken any calls. So it was like for us doing our MPDS a third time, but everybody was so patient and all the team building that we done together was for me very important but it was very um so it was very pain for me you know and all those little tips that vicky taught us to comprehend the protocols what to say with all the examples they were excellent doing that job my, I don't know how you would say that in English, but in French, we call it coup de coeur. So it's my most heart, heartful uh, presentation, the one I've loved the best. And I think as teachers, we need to continue in that pathway or we need to address those situations. And it's the conference that we gave that was given by Antarius Grant. It was about diversity, equity, inclusion, and instruction. And we're in 2023, and a lot of things have changed, and we need to be respectful to the students we have in our class. I'm not saying I wasn't, but sometimes you hear some teacher that will say some offensive stuff that they're not aware of. I think that 
this was an eye-opening thing and everybody should go through that little hour of conference that Antares done, but he did it at the Instructor Academy. So I'm happy everybody heard that. And I think it was very, very necessary. Yeah. Like you said, it's 2023. There are things we're not saying and things that have been brought to light that we need to accept. And one thing that you said that I appreciated was you just ask so many questions and that's how you improve as a person and as an instructor. That's how you learn. You ask questions and you know who to ask the questions of. Yeah. So you did your first solo class last week. What surprised you the most? What surprised me the most? I don't think there was any surprising things. I've been teaching for a whole lot of, of time. So I taught in the paramedic program. I mean, I'm an instructor as an ECNS and an ECNQ, so it's not teaching. What surprises me is probably the work that I have to put in to make sure that I give the course as I'm supposed to, I guess, and the words, the questions. And what surprises me sometimes is that, you know, the students, they have experience. Sometimes, you no, know, they've listened to calls, they have questions. Sometimes they know more than me. So that is like, oops, okay. So it's like, conf uh, can you say that? Like confronting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be, of course, you know, you're an instructor, you can't know everything, but you just have to make sure that what they're telling you or what they're saying makes sense or uh, I have to challenge them somewhere else. But I'm still, it's still work in progress for me. This is such a hard thing. I'm telling you, it's hard. It's hard. It is. It's so hard. I have mentors. I have mentors. You know, Sophie Mercier was one, one of my mentors. Claude Bordelot was one of my mentors. And I have Claude Marie. You know, she's chair of the board of the standards. And she takes calls with me. We practice. I'm from QA and I'm still in a learning process. If you ask me what surprises me, says I'm in a learning process. But then again, I'm the instructor in front of the class, right? So... I guess I have to say I'm in a learning community right now because I'm, you know, I have some teaching point from my mentors and I'm the one also teaching the new EMDs and becoming. Yeah, that's encouraging, I think. I think if I go into a class and my instructor has this kind of attitude of curiosity and I have some answers, but I don't have all of the answers. I think that makes them much more approachable and I'm willing to make mistakes in front of that person because that's how you learn, right? Is you kind of have to make mistakes or watch other people making mistakes, but it's it's more visceral when you make the mistake yourself and you want to be able to do that in a safe environment. Of course. It has to be safe and also what comes out of your mouth has to make sense, but also has to comply with the protocols. Right? Yeah. It's like I tell my students, every word is important and they have a definition. And EMDs have two minutes to figure it out. Nurses have whatever they take their time to do it, you know, because they can clarify and ask so many questions. So it's a fast thing and you need to be good. Yes. All of the words that are put into the protocols are tested and retested and all the time. It's always changing. 
For our last question, what is some advice that you would give someone who's thinking of becoming an instructor? I would say if you think that to be an instructor, first off, I know the academy asked to be an instructor, they have to be a paramedic or a nurse. I'm not completely in favor of for all instructors because, you know, you got some fabulous CMDs. I'm actually learning from them. So, so that's one thing. But the other thing is to get ready to make it less harder on yourself is go take some calls, go listen to them calls, go practice and have a Claude Nahid's to you, have a Sophie next to you, uh, have all those people next to you to make you practice. So when you get into that academy, you know what the heck you're talking about? Because I felt like I was a newbie in there, really. I mean, I felt like I was doing my MPDS because I hadn't touched that in two years because, you know, we don't do that component in our comm center. The nurses don't go through ProQA. To get ready, you have to be an EMD, really. It's not just only about being a nurse and a paramedic. And I had those credentials, but I was missing that third link. For me, if I would, you know, do it again, I don't think I would accept right away. I would say, let me get my hands on because that's the way I am and that I possess the understanding of MPDS and how it works. So that's, that's for me, right? Because I've never taken calls in my whole life. It's not an easy peasy course. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is not. And on top, it was an English course, right? So I'm a Frenchie. So I had my PowerPoints, you know, in French and in English. And I actually had my a colleague next to me says, I don't understand what you're doing. You're in an English PowerPoint and you're taking French notes. He says, I don't even know how you can do this. But then again, that's another thing. You know, when you're doing your team teach, I have to go in front of that class and teach in English. PCM, I have no problem with that. But doing that MPDS stuff, <laughs> It was another stuff. So you have to get ready. You really have to get ready. You do. You do have to get ready. And then also at some point, you kind of just have to go, go and do and make mistakes. And you have to plunge. You have to go and dive in. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us today. We, we haven't talked to anyone quite with your experience yet. So it was really cool to hear. And I hope you'll agree to be on the podcast again. Oh, well, anytime you want, you can do an ECM podcast. I'd have fun of doing that with you. Yes, done. <laughs> done and done. Ladies and gentlemen, you are our witnesses. Thank you so much, <laughs> Diane. And we'll talk to you later. You're welcome. If you have any further questions about the Instructor Academy, you can go ahead and email Eric directly at eric, E-R-I-C dot FIAD, F-A-Y-A-D at emergencydispatch.org. If you have a wider question about emergency dispatch, or if you want us to cover another topic on Dispatch in Depth, go ahead and email me at dispatchindepth at emergencydispatch.org. Thanks for listening to Dispatch in Depth. Remember, it really helps if you rate and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dispatch in Depth is hosted by me, Becca Barris. I'm also the technical director and producer, and Matthew Maiko is the executive producer. 